Well, I have been deeply uh, convicted for many, many months that I need to bring a teaching on women in ministry. And our theme this year is fearless, so I'm wanting to be fearless today to bring this teaching. Hallelujah. And our theme this year is creating a courage culture. And I want to create a courage culture for daughters. I really want to create a courage culture for sisters and for mothers and for wives here in this house. And this is a difficult topic. The Christian church has been divided for centuries over the role of women in ministry. And so before I share this message, I want to share my motive. I want to share my motive for this message. And my deepest desire is that we as a church would champion the daughters of this house. That we would be a family that affirms, accepts, assists, and acknowledges the callings and the giftings of God upon every woman. Now, if you were here last Sunday night, anyone in the building this morning that was here last Sunday night, if you, it was a wonderful evening, and Bethany was leading the worship, McClement, Bethany, and she also, Jackie, quoted John 3.16 Sunday night. It was so powerful. She, she was leading the worship, and she opened her Bible to John 3.16, and with tears in her eyes, began to exhort us and, and to, to embrace this, this, you know, amazing passage of Scripture. It was so moving, and it was so motivating. And right after she was through, Rebecca Pena came up and led us around communion, and she began to talk. I remember her theme. She began to talk about the perfection of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus. And she began to share this revelation of his beauty and his perfection. And if you were here last Sunday night, you know that I didn't stop them. I didn't say to these daughters, you can't say these things in church because you're a woman. I didn't say, stop, stop reading John 3.16. Stop, stop talking about the perfection of Jesus because there's men in the house. You're a woman. You see, the truth is, I don't want them to shut up. I want them to stand up. I want them to speak up. I want them to rise up like wings of, with eagles. And I don't want to impose on women with tradition. I want to empower women with truth. I want to enable embolden and encourage every daughter in this house. But I also want to stay true to the teaching and accuracy of Scripture. And so this is my motive. And now here's my message. I want us to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, not John 3.16. 2 Timothy 3, 16. And here's what 
we read. All scripture. All scripture. Everybody say all scripture. I love this. This doesn't say a scripture. This says all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Other translations say it's God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. All scripture is how we interpret a scripture. All scripture is how we interpret a scripture. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all scripture that's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. And there is a scripture in Corinthians. And there is a scripture in Timothy, and I'll have to get to it next week. But today, there is a scripture in Corinthians that silences women and forbids them to speak. But all scripture teaches us that the best commentary on the Bible is the rest of the Bible. And the best way to understand a text is the context, the culture, and the cross-references to the text. I'm going to say that again. This is how we exegete Scripture. This is how we study. This is how we go deep in God's Word. There's a text, all right? We read the text. And then we have to understand the context, the culture, and all the cross-references. In other words, all Scripture. All scripture. Here's this scripture, but let's, com- let's now cross-reference it with all scripture. Yeah. Now, two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, Pastor Dan Broder was here from Imaginations Church in Phoenix, and he was speaking on our Mission Sunday, and he really taught a powerful message. Many of you, most of you were probably here on that Sunday when Dan preached this message called Lost in Translation. And he talked about how powerful, how significant uh, that things can become in our world and in our life when something gets lost in translation. Now, you'll have to go back and and listen to his story, but he shared, I'm just going to quickly summarize, he shared about the surrender of the Japanese in World War II and how that somehow the terms of that surrender was leaked and when the ancients or the elders or the emperor of Japan heard the terms of that surrender. They were not resisting it, but at the same time, they spoke about in their their understanding, they were saying, we will just stay neutral here, but they were not in any way saying we will rebel against this. And yet the words they used, the words the emperor used, somehow by the time it got to the media and to the young people, who saw those words in a different culture, context, translation, it sort of began to come out that we will resist this. And because this was lost in translation, the atomic bomb landed on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, and over 100,000 people died simply because something was lost in translation. Now, you can read Dan's or listen to his message, and he tells the story better than me. But 
Words can carry more than one meaning. Words have context. Words have culture. In 1987, Carol and I arrived here in Australia from America, and we had my buddy Tim Hall, big old Tim Hall, came to our house, brought his little boy David, who's now a great pastor in our movement, and Tim, just a good buddy, good friend, American, really introduced me to Aussie humor, and it was pretty easy to beat at golf, so I like having him around, and it was just a lot of fun, but I remember one day, Tim Hall reached down and picked up my 17-year-old daughter, Joelle, month. I rest my case. I rest my case. Sermon over, let's go home. He picked up my 17-month-old daughter, Joelle, and he looked at me and he held her and he said, can I nurse her? If you ask one of 330 million Americans today what it means to nurse a baby, they will tell you it means breastfeeding a baby. I thought I was going to have to run that man out of my house and brand him as a lunatic and a Pharisee because what I didn't know is that 23 million people in this context and in this culture have no problem at all nursing a baby. <laughs> Something got lost into translation. <laughs> I could tell you another story about a buddy of mine who needed an eraser and he called it a rubber, but I will not go there. <laughs> but it's a great story. Come up to me afterwards and let me tell it to you. True, true story. Now let me just show you an example from the scripture we just read in this Timothy 3.16 scripture, let me just show you an example of what I'm trying to say. So here's what it says again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly, and equipped for every good work. Now, the Greek word for man is aner, aner. And aner in the Greek means a sexual male or a husband. It is the masculine gender. Perfect example of this word is when Philip goes up uh, to Samaria and, and preaches the gospel. And we read in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men, aner, and women, gune, were baptized. Both men and women were baptized. But in this passage of Scripture, in, in, in 3.16 of Timothy, it says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Greek word is not an heir. It's anthropos, and it means a human being, and it means men or and including women. It is gender inclusive. Most translations... Don't say that the man of God may be equipped. They say that the person of God may be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. But the New American Standard Bible actually says, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. So now, after that example, 
Let's apply context, culture, and cross-referencing to the troubling text in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and 35. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Wow. Well, let's just shut her up and shut it down and let's just all go home because that's what it says. But could we, in humility, look at the context of this difficult text? Could we look at the culture of this text and could we cross-reference this with all Scripture? So what is the context of this scripture. We have to go up about eight verses to the 26th verse of 1 Corinthians 14. Many Bibles break the texts that are coming into a kind of a subtitle and it lets you know what it's going to be talking about. In the New King James Version Bible, right above this verse of scripture that I'm going to read is this subtitle, which explains what everything's going to be talking about here, and it simply says, orderly worship. So in many ways, we could even say this is kind of the context of this chapter or this letter or this, this passage, orderly worship. So we read in verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So the context is orderly and edification. It's interesting, by the way, in just eight verses before this passage that shuts women up, he says in here that each of you how is it when you come together that each of you has a psalm? This is the Greek word hekastas, and it literally means, how is it, brethren, that each man or each woman, this is a gender-inclusive word, how is it then, as a matter of fact, the New Living Translation just goes ahead and says it, and says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you, my brothers and sisters, Meet together, one will sing, and another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. That's eight verses before women don't say anything. Next verse. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent. They must be silent in your church. Meet, meeting and speaking uh, in tongues to God privately. Next verse. We're, we're looking at this context. Let two or three people prophesy. 
and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop, must stop, must be silent. In this way, verse 31, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak. They will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. It's not some ecstatic, you know, just some, no, 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 that's not it. Verse 33, and again, helping us understand context. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then if you go down a few more verses, at the end of this passage of Scripture, that silences women, we read, let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. This is the context. Orderly worship and edification for all. What was the culture? Context, culture, cross-reference. What was the culture of the Corinthian church? Chaos and confusion. This was the culture of the Corinthian church. This church was out of control and out of order. Paul spins this first letter to the Corinthians, correcting over, correcting them, correcting them. As a matter of fact, in the very first chapter, he cannot get past his 10 verses of exhortation and everything until he just jumps right into it. I've received a letter from Chloe's household of what's going on. And the next thing, by the time you get to verse 11, he's having to correct them for their... The, the chaos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ, I'm of Apollos. They were contentious and they were quarrelsome. And Paul jumps right into the beginning of a letter of correction. He's correct. By the time he gets to chapter 5, he's correcting them for unthinkable immorality in the church. And this is in Corinth where Aphrodite reigns and, and the prostitutes and the orgies. And even in that environment, Paul says this in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Contention, division, Immorality. And by the time he gets to chapter 6, they're suing each other. In the courts, they're publicly going to the courts together in front of all of Corinth, and brothers are suing brothers. By the time they get to chapter 11, they are getting fall-down drunk at communion and the Lord's table, at the precious, holy communion. They are getting drunk. Drunk, they are full of gluttony and drunkenness. And by the time we get to chapter 12, and then over to chapter 14, 
There is no order in the church. They are abusing and misusing spiritual gifts. It is just one big free-for-all. As a matter of fact, in chapter 14, where we are, verse 23, Paul says this. If the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in unbelievers, will they not say you are out of your mind? This was a church that was out of control and some would accuse them of being out of their mind. The Corinthian church was full of commotion, confusion, and chaos. So this difficult decree, women, be silent. It is shameful for you to speak in church. Is either a contradiction in scripture or a correction in Corinth. Context. Culture. Cross-reference. When we cross-reference this scripture with the rest of scripture, this scripture becomes a paradox and problematic. Is Paul contradicting himself? Let alone the rest of of scripture I mean in just three chapters before this Paul is instructing both men and women how to pray and prophesy how to pray and prophesy publicly and how they should look while they're doing it he is giving instruction for women for men about public prayer and public prophecy that's chapter 11 and when we are here in chapter 14 we're not going to be unclear what prophecy is or what he's talking about because he says in verse 3 Paul says but he who prophesies the most translations say the one who prophesies the one who prophesies and he's told women and men in chapter 11 he's walked them through it the one who prophesies speaks speaks edification exhortation and comfort to men is Paul contradicting himself? Is Paul contradicting what happens on the day of Pentecost and the prophecy of Joel that had been sown in, in, in God, in the Holy Spirit for hundreds of years until the day of Pentecost, chapter 2 of Acts, verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your daughters will speak Speak edification, exhortation, and comfort. So Paul's instruction to the wild women of Corinth cannot be his instruction to all women everywhere. Paul was not creating 
a doctrine. He was correcting a problem. Now, I personally believe that Paul was not making this statement. I believe he was quoting this statement. Paul used several quotes in 1 Corinthians. In the first chapter, he quotes from the Old Testament. In the 11th chapter, he quotes the words of Jesus. In the 15th chapter, he quotes the Greek dramatist Menander when he says in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians, do not be deceived, quote, evil company corrupts good habits, end quote. He also in chapter 4 quotes the rabbinic axioms. And if you read the NIV version of the Bible, there are eight or nine other statements of Paul in quotes in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians, and I think this passage is also a quote. Now, let me show you why I think it. First, I think this is a quote because this was the sentiment of the day concerning women. For example, Aristophanes, who wrote the Lysistrata, has this line in his work, the woman... In silence, obey. Even Aristotle was known for quoting, silence gives grace to women. Plutarch, the Roman playwright who later would write Bride and Groom, said this, keeping at home and keeping silence was the appropriate role of a woman. And another Roman playwright said that married women are to watch silently and laugh silently, and a woman is always worth more seen than heard. And the Jewish rabbis were known for thy silence is fairer than thy speech. So women were demeaned and debased, and degraded. So was Paul throwing in with the sentiments of the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews? Was Paul saying, way, or was Paul saying, no way? Second reason that I personally think that this was a quote from Paul instead of a statement by Paul, is this. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. As the law also says, what the... I demand you Gentile women obey the law, as the law also says. Since when does the Apostle Paul want the church of Corinth to live by the law? As the law says? 
If these are Paul's own words, then he needs to apologize to the Galatian church. They tried. They tried to mix the Old Testament with the New Testament. And Paul scaldingly scolds them and says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth. They were trying to bring the law in. They were trying to. And Paul said, if anyone comes to you and preaches that stuff, let him be accursed. If even an angel comes and preaches that stuff to you, let him be accursed. And then here were these men who were thinking, well, maybe we should be circumcised. Paul said, ah, if you're going to be circumcised, take the knife and just go ahead and uh, just read it yourself. Just read it yourself. I can't, my mind can't go there. Not only would Paul not say, as the law says, to bring New Testament women under the law, but this is a blatant misquote of the law. The law doesn't say anywhere in all 613 laws that women are to be either silent or submissive. Nowhere in the law of Moses does it say that. Paul wouldn't quote the law, let alone misquote the law. The third reason, I believe, these are not Paul's words, but Paul quoting someone else's words, is this. Punctuation marks are not in the original texts. Quotation marks are not in the original text. Commas, full stops, exclamation marks, question marks. There are no punctuation marks in the original documents of the original text, translators add them. A comma, a quotation mark, a full stop, an exclamation mark, a question mark can radically change a text and something could be lost in translation. Quotation marks are left completely to the discretion of translators. Also, there is one small letter, one letter that's also a Greek word. Like in English, we have the letter I, but it's also a word, I. There is a small one-letter Greek word that makes all the difference in the world. This is the letter and the word E, E. And it can, it's, a, it's an amazing, powerful little word. Paul uses it 49 times in 1 Corinthians. E, it's, a, it's an emotive word. And it can, be, it can be translated, what? Or it can be translated, no way. Or it can be translated, nonsense. Paul uses this word 49 times. And this is the word at the end of and the beginning of it is shameful for a woman 
to speak. Then this word and then the next sentence comes as well. Maybe on the screen, look, uh, look I didn't want to go... <laughs> We're not, I just want you to see some of the ways Paul uses this. In chapter 13, when he's talking about, you say you're of Paul, you say you're of Apollos, he uses the word e. He says, we're, no way, were you baptized into the name of Paul? And you can see the use of and the meaning of that word. You can go down to verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 9. Nonsense. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And so, like I said, there's 49 times he uses that. So let me just say this as I ask the team to come. Obviously, you can see I can't get this finished in one sermon. I beg God to please let me get this finished in one sermon. There are scholars and Bible translators who believe that this is the proper translation of this text. Now, I have highlighted two quotation marks. Otherwise, this is the original from the New English Version, the NIV, or the New International, I'm sorry. So there are scholars, translators, who believe this should be read this way. Women should be silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. I just don't want to throw it in here, but I'm thinking, what about the wife that doesn't have a husband? And what about the husbands that are like me who go home and actually ask their wives? Anyway, <laughs> if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Nonsense. Did the word of God originate with you? What? Are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but everything should be done orderly fitting and in an orderly way remember all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness all scripture is given to help us understand a scripture. Context, culture, cross-referencing. Now I know some will disagree. Some will insist that women remain silent and subdued and suppressed because of a scripture. But that is not what all scripture leads us to believe. Throughout scripture, women led nations and armies. Women prophesied to kings. Women sat at the feet of Jesus. Women financed his ministry. Women 
proclaimed the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Women were co-workers together with the Apostle Paul. Women were filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I want every woman in this house and in our church family to be empowered and encouraged and inspired to pursue every purpose that God has for your life. And I want us to create a courage culture for women. stand with me. Next Sunday, I'm going to take us to the Timothy text where Paul says, I do not permit a woman, a woman to teach or to have authority over man and she'll be saved bearing children. We're going to take that text next week and also next week would like to talk about the headship of women and the submission of of women. I pray I can get all that done next Sunday. But today, would you bow your head with me? Would you, could I just first off thank you for just opening your heart? I know this is difficult. I know not everyone agrees. I know what, no one's, church hasn't agreed in hundreds of years. And there will be some who will, you just do what you got to do, but I got to do what I got to do. And I've got to release every daughter. I've got to release every sister and every wife to pursue the purposes of God. Let me just say, I am famous for a sermon I have preached all over the world called If I Were the Devil. And if I were the devil, I would want to shut up half of the church of Jesus Christ. I would want to shut up half of the voice of the body of Christ. That's what I would want to do if I were the devil. But I'm not the devil. And I just want you to know this is always going to be a safe place for your daughters an encouraging place for your sisters, an affirming place for your mothers and your wives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would just have a humility of heart. I pray we would just be open, and I pray that you would just speak to us. And Lord, whatever this passage, if I don't have it right, wait, wait, maybe it means something else, but it cannot mean that the rest of Scripture is contradicted by what I believe is a correction. And so I pray that there would be a new freedom. I pray there would be a new release. And I pray there would be a new courage in our culture in Jesus' name.